0: Today's scripture reading is found in 1 Samuel, chapter 21. Take a moment to turn to the text in your Bible to follow along. The reading will also be on the screen behind me. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, Why are you alone, and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread if the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, truly women have been kept from them, from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdsmen. Then David said to Ahimelech, then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, the sword of Goliath the Philistine whom you struck down in the valley of Elah. Behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is none but that here. And David said, there is none like that. Give it to me. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Akesh, the king of Gath. And the servants of Akesh said to him, is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Akesh and the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands, and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Akesh said to his servants, behold, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? This is the word of the Lord.
1: Praise be to God. Thank you, Vivian. You can be seated. Well, good morning. Happy spring break week for students in McKinney. Um, It's a fun week, I'm sure, for some of you, others of you, brace for it, right? Well, hey, if you're new, I want to especially welcome you uh, to the Parks Church. This is what we do here at, at the Parks. We preach through books of the Bible, and we are making our way through uh, 1 and 2 Samuel. And this morning, uh, so you want to keep your Bible open, uh, particularly this week, um, as every other week, but particularly this week, because I'm going to be covering chapters 21, 22, and 23. And I know Vivian just read chapter 21, uh, because that's where I'll predominantly spend my time. Uh, but, but again, if you're new, that might sound a little strange to you. This is more text than we typically cover. Uh, but but what, one of the things we have a strong conviction toward here at the Parks Church is that uh, we, we believe that the Word of God is the power. Of God on display for us because it shows us who God is. It shows us His redemptive plan, um, His story unfolding. And so, even when we cover uh, chapters like this, we believe that God is at the center. He's the one unfolding uh, the story. And, and it's not just about, okay, how quickly can we get through the text? Even really, if you look at this whole service, right, it's not how quickly can we get through the songs, on just on to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. This, this gathering centers around the presence of God. Amen that what we come in here longing for is to experience, not for just experiential sake, but to experience the presence of God, because in the presence of God, that's where freedom's found. That's where salvation's found. That's where healing's found. That's what the Word tells us. And so we come to a text even like this, and we believe that the Lord is moving, the Lord is orchestrating, the Lord is going to show us and, and, and collide us, really, with His presence, even through three chapters like this. And so I'm gonna do something a little bit different, and I am going to uh, try to zoom us up to a 30,000-foot view of these three chapters. We have covered a lot of ground, obviously, up until uh, chapter 21, so I'm not even going to rehash those, but I'm just going to try to take these uh, three chapters and ex- explain them in a little bit more detail before we get down into the woods at, at first. Is that, does that sound good? All right, that's what I'm doing, whether you like it or not. Um, and so uh, put on the screen for me, Keith, uh, the map, a map, right? For you visual learners, this is about as visual as I get, all right? Um, this is Dave, David, so you up at Ramah, where we uh, started last week, um, you'll recall that David was being uh, persecuted, trying to be killed by Saul. And so this is the journey, over the next couple weeks, this is the journey we're going to take. That's David's path. That's him running. That's him fleeing from Saul, who is at this point it's clear to David, who is trying to kill him. And so this morning we're going to make it through probably in uh, Getty over here, which is which is uh, number eleven. That's about as far as we're going to make. And and it just just a way of like notation. Like most of us think you know early on in life like life's a straight shot, right? There are these clear moments: elementary, middle school, high school, college, career, blah 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 blah. And if I could use a map to describe our lives, it's not a straight line, is it? Our life looks more like this, right? We're going here, we're going there. Like, you you can look at it, you're like, I don't even know where David is, right? I don't even know what's going on in David's life. So I'm going to keep that map up while I explain this. I'm going to try to explain these three chapters and what's going on with David, where he's going, and why he's going there, and just watch on the map how he is moving, all right? So... David has just fled from Saul's house after last week um, because his life is is in danger. Uh, But I'll explain why David is fleeing predominantly here in a second. But David not only is fleeing because his life is in danger, there is also a great cost um, to what's taking place here for David. David is not just leaving um, behind uh, Saul and his house and the kingdom that, that David has been anointed to lead, but David is also leaving behind someone he loves very deeply. And that's Jonathan, right? It says last week that they covenanted between the name of the Lord. And this uh, covenant meant that there will always be peace between their households. So David is leaving behind Jonathan and everything he has. And in in chapter 21, David approaches Nob. And Nob is an interesting place in your Bible because this is where the priests and the tabernacle now reside. If you recall earlier on in 1 Samuel, the tabernacle was in a place called Shiloh. And so David shows up in Nob, apparently weary, with very few companions. And again, this is warrior David. This is this is the David who has defeated the Philistines and other armies time and time again. But he shows up with no armed guards, which typically an Israel an Israel, Israelite commander would show up. Elimelech, he, the priest, notices this, and he senses something in in chapter twenty one. About this encounter, and it says that he begins to tremble. And David, whether purposely deceiving the priest or to give the priest plausible deniability before King Saul, says that David lies about his journey. He gives a, a mistruth here, if you will, to say that he's just there kind of in the king's work, not fleeing for his life like he should have disclosed. And I'll, I'll pause there to say that this is one of those moments where we should take note and see that the word of God is not lifting up David as the blueprint for us to follow in all of his doing. David is not the one that's at the center of this text. God is the one who is at the center of this text. And so even by this mistruth or this lie that David gives, and there'll be more in David's life, the Lord is again reminding us, hey, listen, he is fallible. He's not the one that I want you to have your eyes upon. And so David tells uh, the, the, the priest, that he's there on the king's business, the priest knows that, uh, that the presence of the, the bread, the bread of the presence is the only thing he has to feed David. And David is like, I'm hungry, my men are hungry. But the priest knows he can't give David, based upon Levitical law, he can't give David this kind of bread. Except there's something different taking place with David before him. There's something unique. And the priest recognizes that. You see, the bread of the presence in the tabernacle symbolized Yahweh and his covenant with Israel to be their provider and their sustainer. And here we have David standing before God and Israel as the anointed king. And the priest recognizes something different with David and believes that David is a worthy recipient of that symbol, not as a replacement of God, But as a mercy of God. And so the priest gives David and his men the bread of the presence. And that's not the only thing that David takes from Nob, is it? You remember what Vivian just read. He also takes the sword of Goliath. Very interesting. And I'll unpack this in a second. And that gets us into chapter 22. And from visiting Nob, David continues fleeing from Saul. David thinks, and I'm not sure why David thinks this, but maybe the safest place would be Gath. Look at it in your Bible. Gath, if you're unaware of that city, is one of the five major Philistine cities. Oh yeah, and Gath is also the hometown of the giant, Goliath. And so David is now seeking refuge in Goliath's hometown. I don't know, it doesn't seem like he's going to get a lot of fanfare there, um, and even the servants of Achish make a bold statement in verse 11 of chapter 22. It says this, is not this David the king of the land? So these are Philistines in Gath looking at David who comes, right? And going, wait a minute, isn't this the guy who's the king over the land? Nobody has made that announcement before, by the way. Nobody has put two and two together that he's the anointed king, except for possibly Samuel, who's not present here for this. And so realizing that his um, welcome here in Gath is one of a threat, David um, finds surrender in a cave. He finds asylum here for a time. He fakes insanity like a madman, right? And with his company there, he finds his family, but the Bible also says those come to him who are in distress, in debt, and in bitterness of soul, looking for David for leadership. just find that so interesting, that in this wilderness, in him running, there are people still coming to David for his leadership. And from there, David flees to his, his relatives, the Moabites. If you know your Bible, you know that these people or the great grandmother of David, her name being Ruth. But the Lord will not allow David to potentially reintegrate with the Moabites and calls him back into the service of Judah. In, verse 20, in chapter 22, if you have your Bible, look at verse 6 because I want to insert Saul here. What's Saul doing? Saul, it says, was seated in Gibeah under the tamarisk tree at the height so the highest place of this hill, if you will, with his spear in his hand. You remember that I talked about last week that Saul's power, Saul's authority rested where? In his title, in his position, and in his spear. And so here again, the author of 1 Samuel is clear to paint what Saul is about. He's seated at the high place with his spear, essentially doing nothing. Barking orders really in the text, if you read it in in 1 Samuel chapter 22, he's, he's whining. He's whining about everybody supporting David. Why do they support him? Don't they know who I am? Don't they know that I'm the great King Saul? And this woe is me act essentially leaves everybody feeling disgusted around Saul, except for one. His name is Doeg, the Edomite. Doeg the Edomite, and I'll talk about him here in a little bit, seizes this moment for his glory. Doeg was at Nob when David arrived and witnessed how the priest provided the bread and sword to him. So Saul summons all the priests to him, and, and the priest does not shy away from the truth. Ahimelech tells the truth to Saul. He says that David is honored. David is one of Saul's most faithful servants. David, the priest says, is your son-in-law, Saul, the captain of your bodyguard, generally honored by everyone in Saul's house. So yes, Saul, I did, the priest said. I did inquire on his be- behalf to the Lord. And in rage, Saul demands the death of all the priests in Nob, all of them. And there's no one who will carry out this task except Doeg. Everyone else wonders, why would we kill the priests? Why would we take all of them, except Doeg? Doeg leads. And what the scriptures tell us is that everyone and everything was wiped out in chapter 22. All of the priests at Nob. Now, if you've been with us, doesn't that sound familiar? Wiping out everyone and everything. Isn't that what the Lord told Saul to do With Amalek and his people, Saul wiped them out. But what did Saul do? He inserted partial obedience. Remember, he took the plunder for himself. He held back what he wanted. But here we see with the priests, with God's priests, he wipes out everything. You're starting to get a picture, a fuller picture of who Saul is. But David, look at it at the end of of chapter 22 and verse 23. David says this to Imelech's son. He says, Stay with me. Do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me, you shall be in safe keeping. David goes, Listen, I will be your safeguard. And this is a comparison between Saul and David. What does Saul bring? Destruction and death. What does David bring? Salvation and security. Now, going into chapter 23, continuing to follow the Lord, David in his pseudo exile, he does the work Saul should be doing. He continues to go out and he fights the Philistines in all these areas. Listen, David is still battling. David is still winning victories on behalf of the Lord. And although God leads David in victory, something you need to see very clearly in these three chapters, God does not necessarily lead David into safety. I want to make that point again. David, God is leading David in victory. He does not necessarily lead God to safety. And at Keilah, there's no good way of escape where David is right now. And so David does not act rashly, but he consults the Lord who tells him that the people will betray him and give Saul a chance to kill him. And he flees once more into the wilderness of Ziph. Or are you following on the map? Where God keeps him safe from Saul. And after fleeing and hiding for so long, David receives encouragement from Jonathan who ventured out to find him, his brother. This is a beautiful scene in chapter 23. Unfortunately, once again, David is betrayed by those in his vicinity. And Saul uses this occasion to misuse the name of the Lord in blessing the betrayers of David. Despite Saul's precautions to do the deed properly, the Lord intervenes. A messenger came to Saul when he was practically upon David. And the messenger, wouldn't you know, by the way, there's no coincidence in the kingdom of God. A messenger came to Saul and said that the Philistines were attacking, which diverts Saul temporarily. Abandons his pursuit of David and he goes and fights the enemy. And David continues in his wilderness wanderings and moves on to another stronghold all the way over here, number 11 in Engedi. <sighs> Take a breath. These chapters and the ones we'll be in moving forward are known as the wilderness chapters for King David. They're known as the season where David is removed, is running from Saul for his life. In these chapters and the ones moving forward, this is where David will write many of the Psalms that we read. Psalm 34, our opening liturgy, the one we read and called to worship, was written out of chapter 21 in 1 Samuel. We'll look at some other Psalms this morning. But here's where I want to land this morning and look at this biblical idea of wilderness. We're going to be here for a few weeks, and so I want to camp out on this idea of wilderness. The wilderness is something you and I will see over and over again in the Bible. But not only is it something we see over and over in the pages of Scripture, it is something if you're on the journey of following Jesus, you will experience in your own life. Every central figure in the pages of Scripture goes through a season of wilderness, a moment where they're taken out, right? Abraham, Moses. Moses multiple times, in fact, right? Think about Moses. He's he's on the backside of the desert, and what happens with a bush on the backside of the desert for Moses? That's where the Lord discloses himself, his name, I am sending you. You go on through Joseph, Joseph, who spent most of his life enslaved, go to the New Testament, right? The one that we're most familiar with, Jesus, for 40 days, driven into the wilderness. Paul, after his conversion, spent an unknown period of time, some believe up to three years, in the wilderness or desert. And here we have King David in the wilderness, most scholars believe that this period of time of him running in the wilderness is anywhere between five to seven years. I think this is where we have to be careful as students of our Bible. We can read it chapter after chapter. We can read it in, let's say, an hour's worth of time or 30 minutes worth of time and be like, whoo, that was intense. But forget how long this was for David. How year after year, and you kind of get this sense in Psalms where he's writing going, how long, oh Lord, how long will you let this continue, what's, what's going on, and for some of you, and the reason I did the recap, for some of you, the reality is these three chapters are so practical for you because this is where you're at, you're pressed, you feel like you're running, there's this idea of suffering, or struggle, or confusion, or loneliness, or desperation, this is where David is. He's confused, right? And and, and again, he he acted like a madman, not because he was actually a madman. He was acting like a madman because that's all he knew to do for his safety. Like what? This is the anointed one. What what, what is going on in this text? Why is he struggling so hard? And so this morning, I want to give four observations from the text today about the wilderness journey. Not just from David, not just from First Samuel, but I believe from us as well. And these are true in any wilderness experience you see in the pages of Scripture. And the first one is this, that God is the one who leads into the wilderness. God is the one who leads into the wilderness It could appear on the surface that Saul is the one who forced David into the wilderness. It could even maybe appear on the surface that David is the one who made the decision to go out into the wilderness and run. But as we read the pages of scripture, we have to ultimately understand who is in charge. Who is sovereign over it all? Who's sovereign over Saul? Who's sovereign over David? Who's sovereign over you and me? God is the center of this text, and God is the one leading in everything. There's no clearer words that could be used than from Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And this is Jesus before he starts his ministry. It says this, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. Where? So after his baptism, he was led by the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. Where? Into the wilderness. Moses, Joseph, all of them, Abraham, they were all led by the Lord into this place known as the wilderness. This place of desperation, independence, and hardship and struggle. Hosea, another place in the Old Testament, Hosea 2 says this, we'll get to the latter half. Therefore, behold, I, the Lord, will allure her and bring her into the wilderness. God's going, He's talking to Israel. I will bring her. I will take her. I will allure her. I'll I'll woo her into the wilderness. And we'll get for for what point here in a second. But we have to understand that in David's life, in David's navigation through all these things that we see in the map, the Lord is the one leading. The Lord is the one leading him into the wilderness. And for us, the message is still the same. Those places of hardship, those places of struggle, of desperation and confusion and loneliness, the Lord is leading us there. One of the words of caution I want to give to us this morning is this, is that oftentimes I think we chalk certain things that the Lord is doing and how he's leading us, like he's leading us into these places, these lonely, desperate places, we chalk them up to spiritual warfare. We go, this must be the enemy, right? This must be the enemy doing this. This must be the enemy driving us out into the wilderness. This must be the enemy doing this. Now, listen to me. I believe in spiritual warfare. It is very real. But I think there are oftentimes the Lord is alluring us, the Lord is wooing us, He's calling us out there, He's going with us, He's leading us and guiding us, and we're giving credit to the enemy. When God's going, no, 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 I wanna bring you out here, I wanna draw you into this place. And I'm gonna talk about the reason here in a bit. But the Lord is the one who leads us into the wilderness. Second observation God uniquely cares and provides in the wilderness. And here's where I want you to have 1 Samuel open. There are specific things, particularly in chapter 21, that the Lord gives to David as he enters the wilderness years. Did you notice anything at Nob? What was provided for him? Well, two things in particular at Nob were provided for him. The first thing is bread. You got it. The bread of the presence. Bread that was an offering to God was given to David by the priest. Now, what's interesting about this bread is that David didn't earn it. David uh, didn't, um, couldn't take it by himself. This bread, the bread of the presence, had to be placed or given to David. David. Notice David didn't run up to the altar where this bread was and snatch it and go, hey, I got a journey ahead. I'm the anointed one. You need to know. David understood that there was an order to follow, that he came before the priest and said, listen, me and my men were hungry. There is provision here. You say, well, Kyle, how does this work? Did the priest, um, did he disobey the law? Did he disobey Leviticus? You have to understand something about the law. And Jesus actually teaches us. Jesus actually uses 1 Samuel 21 when when, uh, the Pharisees come against his disciples for eating on the Sabbath, doing certain things on the Sabbath. And Jesus goes, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Don't you remember David? How he was given the bread in the wilderness? Now, stop right here. And let's put our New Testament hats on. David was not, uh, Jesus was not reconfiguring the law. Jesus, what he was doing by using David, he was going, listen, I'm the new David. I'm the new king. Jesus was teaching, going, listen, I'm the prophet, I'm the priest, I'm the king, all in one. And so he goes, listen, don't you know that Sabbath wasn't created for God? It was created for man. And so there's this idea within the law that, that mercy triumphs over judgment or justice, right? So here in this moment, the priest looked and said, what's going to be about human flourishing? What's going to be merciful toward those who carry the image of God? And it was giving them the bread. And so that's what takes place here. And so this bread was placed in David's weary hands. Interestingly, in Jesus' wilderness moment, right, in the desert, what's the first thing that Satan tempts Jesus with? Jesus is fasting. He's not eating. Bread. Satan goes, hey, can't you just speak to those rocks and turn them into bread? So God's provision for David starting this wilderness journey is bread and knob. Hmm. Hmm. The second thing, what do they provide? David goes, I didn't come with any armor, I didn't come any, with any swords. Is, is, there, is there a sword around here? And wouldn't you know it? They're like, there is a sword here. It's the sword from the giant. Goliath's sword. So it says that they they like unveil it from this ephod and they give, literally, get this picture. They give David for his journey in the wilderness Goliath's sword. So you have provision of bread, you have provision of a sword. What do you think that means? What do you think that is, like just some token of victory? No, the sword of Goliath is a reminder to David of God's faithfulness, of God's provision, not that he's just going to provide with bread, but he's also going to provide safety. He's also going to protect him through the wilderness. Here's the sword of Goliath the priest gives to David, and that's what he's going to carry on. This is a reminder that God has, and God will deliver you, David. But also, after that moment, there's this lurking little figure named Doeg. What a name, right? And I, had, I, I don't name my sermons, right? But if I did, it'd be like, don't be a Doeg or something like that. <laughs> Doeg, it says, Doeg the Edomite. He's there at Nob. We don't know why he's there at Nob, but it says he was like detained. He's doing some business for Saul, probably. But he's just kind of there lurking. This is a chief guard security over Saul's land. Doeg is a man with an eye for opportunity. Not a good opportunity, but any opportunity for self-glory, for self-promotion. Doeg doesn't care about the wilderness, right? Right? He's not evaluating. All he knows is he wants to get out of it as fast as possible. He's willing to scratch and claw and fight and kill even the priests to prove himself. David actually wrote a psalm about Doeg. Psalm 52. I find this so interesting. This little figure creeping in all these texts. David's like, I got a psalm for you. I got a psalm for you, and here's what it says. Look, verse one tells who this is for. It says, that's Psalm 52. And the choir master asked what they, when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Elimelech. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, and you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good, and lying more than speaking what is right. Think about it, Selah. You love all words that devour, oh deceitful tongue. That's painting a picture of Doeg. David goes, that's this guy creeping around the text. Meanwhile, God is shaping and he's forming David in the wilderness. But also in the wilderness, there is Doeg. And now the third thing that the Lord provides is not a knob. It actually comes from Gath in verse 11 of chapter 21. And remember, Gath is the hometown of Goliath. In verse 11, this is what it says. And the servants of Achish said to him, is not this David the king of the land? So David has been provided bread He's been provided a sword, and now he has just been provided, as he enters into this wilderness wandering, he has been provided a word from the Lord. A reminder of who he is, that he is the king of Israel. He is the one who God has anointed and so listen, these three things, these three types of things are all things that God cares, uniquely cares, and provides as he draws us, as he brings us into those wilderness wanderings. Some of you just think that, yeah, God calls us there, and then he just kind of leaves us out there. That's not, it, that's not it at all. What the word of God says is that he unite, uniquely provides, and he uniquely cares for his people in the wilderness, and David is a prime example of that as he begins this five- or seven-year run. Especially, I'll say, in these seasons of wilderness, we're particularly vulnerable to forget the word of the Lord. I find it interesting that bread, sword, and word are all metaphors used in the Bible for the scriptures. The Lord provides his word, the scriptures, as our nourishment, as our unique care, as our unique provision. Listen, God cares for you in the wilderness in profound and oftentimes unseen ways. He will nourish you. He is nourishing you. And let me tell you, the primary way in which he nourishes you is by giving you his word. why would that be the primary way he nourishes? Because the primary goal, third point, the primary goal of the wilderness, the primary goal of the wilderness is God himself. It's that you would get God himself in a unique way, in a profound way, in an intimate way. Hosea 2, go back to that one. Hosea 2, 14 and 15. God going, I'm going to lure her out to the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Acre. The the valley of Acre, the the word Acre means trouble. The valley of hardship, the valley of pain, the valley of, of confusion. I'm going to make that valley out in the wilderness, God says. Here's what I'm going to make it, a door of hope a door of hope, and how is God going to turn the valley of trouble, the valley of pain, into a door of hope because God is going to give you, through his word, himself. Himself. Why is God pulling us into the wilderness? Why does God draw us and allure us out there so that we might know him? so that we might have a depth of understanding of his love and his grace of mercy apart from the wilderness, we would never know. Luke 4, back to Jesus coming out of the wilderness. And Jesus returned from the wilderness in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Listen, there, there was something that happened Even to our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, when he went through the wilderness, he came out on the other side full. He went in full of the Holy Spirit. He came out on the other side full of the Holy Spirit, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. Like, it it went out. Like, this, this man is teaching with an authority like we've never seen. This man is operating and healing and doing things like we have never seen. But what was the precursor to all of that happening? Yeah, you got it, the wilderness, 40 days. For David, he has not taken the throne yet. What is the precursor to David taking the actual throne? Wilderness. Why? Because God is so concerned with his own glory that he's going, listen, I'm willing to take you through this preparation and this testing and this forming so you understand who I am. So that in the seasons where you wanna give yourself the credit, when you wanna give yourself the glory, you just think back to the wilderness and how I provided for you, how I cared for you, how I turned your valley of trouble into a door of hope. Now hear me, the Lord never intends that we set up shop and live in the wilderness. Because some of you are going, well, if that's where God is and that's how he does it, and then like, let's just set up shop, that's our tendency. You remember the story on the Mount of Transfiguration with the disciples? Jesus takes them up. They see God's glory unveiled, and they're like, this is where I want to live. And Jesus is like, you can't live here. For some of us, we have the tendency in the wilderness to go, this is where, this this is it, Then this is what I'm going to do. And God goes, no, 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 no. You have to understand, I'm forming you here to take you from here transformed, changed, shaped for my glory so that a new beginning might start in the wilderness. That's what you see biblically in the wilderness. We neither live on the mountain or in the wilderness. Isaiah 43, the prophetic text, says this from the Lord. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Like you in the wilderness, the Lord is doing a new thing. He's with you, he's present, but he's beginning a new start to something that will give way as you come through and out of that season with the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. He says, I will make a way in the wilderness. He's making a way for you and me to walk through the wilderness with him and rivers in the desert. And he goes, do you perceive it? Listen, some of you, you come in here, um, and maybe you recognize it, maybe you don't. And you're in that proverbial season of wilderness. And the Lord is reminding you this morning that he's there with you. He sees you. And not, he's not just there with you, he's forming and shaping something deep inside of you that's going to give way to something new. Listen, you see that in all of those figures. Abraham, right? Joseph, Jesus, Paul, David. It's this transforming movement of the spirit in the wilderness. Now, some of you, you're running from the wilderness, and the Lord's going, no, no, hey, listen, I'm trying to call you in here to do good, to do good toward you. Some of you, you've set up residence in the wilderness, and the Lord's like, listen, I didn't call you to set up shop here forever. I called you to be transformed through this so that on the other side, you might be a growing picture of my grace and my mercy. You might be a testimony of how God actually works in our lives. Now, if you have your Bible open, while I was studying this morning, this verse um, hit me. Verse, uh, chapter 23, verse 28. And this is where I want to end the second to last verse. I think this is so fitting as we come to the tables of communion. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went up against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. Who provided David's escape? The Lord did. You know the scene where Moses is hidden in the cleft of the rock as the glory of God goes by? All of these things point ahead to the true rock of escape, the one by which we hide underneath and in for salvation. How do we escape the judgment and the wrath of God that we deserve? The rock of Jesus Christ, our rock of escape. How do we find shelter in the season of wilderness? In the rock of escape. And so some of you, you need to run to the rock of escape this morning. You need to run to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Others of you, you need to realize that you have a rock of escape, right? And it's not your good works. It's not your morality. It's not religious performance. It is found in faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. Some of you, um, you're really weary and tired, and I get this, I've been there, because you're in a season of wandering, walking through the desert. And I just want to remind you of Psalm thirty-four, eighteen, right? That he's near the brokenhearted, that he's near to those of you who are weary, that he's close to those of you who are crushed in spirit. And I'm just praying that you would drink deeply, of Jesus this morning and His care for you right where you are, His provision for you right where you are. And for others of you, like, hey, this, like, I feel like we're in a pretty ordinary time, whatever that is in life, right? Hey, enjoy it as a gift of grace to you by Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Don't go searching for the wilderness, don't go looking for it. God will bring you there when He wants and needs you there, okay? Let me pray for us. Hosts, get ready as we take communion. Father, God, I thank you for your word this morning. Your word that shapes us and transforms us. That softens our hard hearts. And Lord, um, I pray that as we uh, take communion together, God, that confession and repentance would flow from our lips that we'd confess. God, how much we try to scrape and claw our way out of the wilderness like doe egg. We so try to go after self-glory. And Father, I pray that you would help us to sit in the places that you have us so that the work of your Holy Spirit might take full effect in our lives. Father, I pray that these seasons that many of us have walked through and are walking through, I pray that your spirit would have full effect on the transforming work that only he can do. So Lord, um, my prayer for us is surrender. is surrendering to your way and to your will. Jesus, you're king over our lives. You're the head of this church. Lead us where you see fit, individually and corporately. And Lord, as you lead us to these tables this morning, you are our rock of escape. You are how we find shelter. You are our stronghold. And so Lord, refresh us, renew us, remind us of your goodness in Christ, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Host, you can lead us to the table.